Chapter 29 of McClellan's Own Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manalakis. McClellan's Own Story by George Brinton McClellan. Chapter 29, Part 2. On the 4th, I had received General Halleck's order of the 3rd, which appears below, directing me to withdraw the army to Acquia, and on the same day sent an earnest protest against it. A few hours before this, General Hooker had informed me that his cavalry pickets reported large bodies of the enemy advancing and driving them in, and that he would probably be attacked at daybreak. Under these circumstances, I had determined to support him, but as I could not get the whole army in position until the next afternoon, I concluded, upon the receipt of the above telegram from the General-in-Chief, to withdraw General Hooker, that there might be the least possible delay in conforming to General Halleck's orders. I therefore sent to General Hooker, Under advices I have received from Washington, I think it necessary for you to abandon the position tonight, getting everything away before daylight. Five batteries, with their horses and equipments complete, were embarked on the 7th and 8th. Simultaneously with General Hooker's operations upon Malvern, I dispatched a cavalry force under Colonel Avril towards Savage's Station to ascertain if the enemy were making any movements towards our left flank. He found a rebel cavalry regiment near the White Oak Swamp Bridge and completely routed it, pursuing well towards Savage's Station. These important preliminary operations assisted my preparations for the removal of the army to Acquia Creek, and the sending off our sick and supplies was pushed both day and night as rapidly as the means of transportation permitted. On the subject of the withdrawal of the army from Harrison's Landing, the following correspondence passed between the General-in-Chief and myself while the reconnaissances towards Richmond were in progress. On the 2nd of August, I received the following from General Halleck. You have not answered my telegram of July 30th, 8 p.m. about the removal of your sick. Remove them as rapidly as possible and telegraph me when they will be out of your way. The President wishes an answer as early as possible to which I sent this reply. 3rd, 11 p.m. Your telegram of 2nd is received. The answer to dispatch of July 30th was sent this morning. We have about 12,500 sick, of whom perhaps 4,000 might make easy marches. We have here the means to transport 1,200, and will embark tomorrow that number of the worst cases. With all the means at the disposal of the medical director, the remainder could be shipped in from 7 to 10 days. It is impossible for me to decide what cases to send off unless I know what is to be done with this army. Were the disastrous measures of retreat adopted, all the sick who cannot march and fight should be dispatched by water. Should the army advance, many of the sick could be of service at the depots. If it is to remain here any length of time, the question assumes still a different phase. Until I am informed what is to be done, I cannot act understandingly or for the good of the service. If I am kept longer in ignorance of what is to be effected, I cannot be expected to accomplish the object in view. In the meantime, I will do all in my power to carry out what I conceive to be your wishes. The moment I received the instructions for removing the sick, I at once gave the necessary directions for carrying them out. With a small amount of transportation at hand, the removal of the severe cases alone would necessarily take several days. And in the meantime, I desired information to determine what I should do with the others. The order required me to send them away as quickly as possible and to notify the general-in-chief when they were removed. 
previous to the receipt of the dispatch of the 2nd of August, not having been advised of what the army under my command was expected to do, or which way it was to move, if it moved at all, I sent the following dispatch to General Halleck. Berkeley, August 3rd. I hear of sea steamers at Fort Monroe. Are they for removing my sick? If so, to what extent am I required to go in sending them off? There are not many who need go. As I am not in any way informed of the intentions of the government in regard to this army, I am unable to judge what proportion of the sick should leave here and must ask for specific orders. If the army was to retreat to Fort Monroe, it was important that it should be unencumbered with any sick, wounded, or other men who might at all interfere with its mobility. But if the object was to operate directly on Richmond from the position we then occupied, there were many cases of slight sickness which would speedily be cured and the patients returned to duty. As the service of every man would be important in the event of a forward offensive movement, I considered it to be of the utmost consequence that I should know what was to be done. It was to ascertain this that I sent the dispatch of 11 p.m. on the 3rd, before receiving the following telegram from General Halleck. Washington, August 3rd, 1862, 7.45 p.m. I have waited most anxiously to learn the result of your forced reconnaissance towards Richmond, and also whether all your sick have been sent away, and I can get no answer to my telegram. It is determined to withdraw your army from the peninsula to Aquia Creek. You will take immediate measures to effect this, covering the movement as best you can. Its real object and withdrawal should be concealed even from your own officers. Your materiel and transportation should be removed first. You will assume control of all the means of transportation within your reach and apply to the naval forces for all the assistance they can render you. You will consult freely with the commander of these forces. The entire execution of the movement is left to your discretion and judgment. You will leave such forces as you deem proper at Fort Monroe, Norfolk, and other places which we must occupy. I proceeded to obey this order with all possible rapidity, firmly impressed, however, with the conviction that the withdrawal of the Army of the Potomac from Harrison's Landing, where its communications had, by the cooperation of the gunboats, been rendered perfectly secure, would at that time have the most disastrous effect upon our cause. I did not, as the commander of that army, allow the occasion to pass without distinctly setting forth my views upon the subject to the authorities in the following telegram. August 4th. Your telegram of last evening is received. I must confess that it has caused me the greatest pain I ever experienced, for I am convinced that the order to withdraw this army to Aquia Creek will prove disastrous to our cause. I fear it will be a fatal blow. Several days are necessary to complete the preparations for so important a movement as this, and while they are in progress, I beg that careful consideration may be given to my statements. This army is now in excellent discipline and condition. We hold a debauch on both banks of the James River so that we are free to act in any direction, and with the assistance of the gunboats, I consider our communications as now secure. We are 25 miles from Richmond and are not likely to meet the enemy in force sufficient to fight a battle until we have marched 15 to 18 miles, which brings us practically within 10 miles of Richmond. Our longest line of land transportation would be from this point 25 miles away, but with the aid of the gunboats we can supply the army by water during its advance, certainly to within 12 miles of Richmond. At Aquia Creek we would be 75 miles from Richmond with land transportation all the way. From here to Fort Monroe is a march of about 70 miles, for are regarded as impracticable to withdraw this army and its materiel except by land. 
The result of the movement would thus be a march of 145 miles to reach a point now only 25 miles distant, and to deprive ourselves entirely of the powerful aid of the gunboats and water transportation. Add to this the certain demoralization of this army which would ensue, the terribly depressing effect upon the people of the North, and the strong probability that it would influence foreign powers to recognize our adversaries, and there appear to me sufficient reasons to make it my imperative duty to urge, in the strongest terms afforded by our language, that this order may be rescinded, and that, far from recalling this army, it be promptly reinforced to enable it to resume the offensive. It may be said that there are no reinforcements available. I point to Burnside's force, to that of Pope, not necessary to maintain a strict defensive in front of Washington and Harper's Ferry, to those portions of the Army of the West not required for a strict defensive there. Here, directly in front of this army, is the heart of the rebellion. It is here that all our resources should be collected to strike the blow which will determine the fate of the nation. All points of secondary importance elsewhere should be abandoned and every available man brought here. A decided victory here, and the military strength of the rebellion is crushed. It matters not what partial reverses we may meet with elsewhere. Here is the true defense of Washington. It is here, on the banks of the James, that the fate of the Union should be decided. Clear in my convictions of right, strong in the consciousness that I have ever been and still am actuated solely by love of my country, knowing that no ambitious or selfish motives have influenced me from the commencement of this war, I do now what I never did in my life before. I entreat that this order may be rescinded. If my counsel does not prevail, I will, with a sad heart, obey your orders to the utmost of my power, directing to the movement, which I clearly foresee will be one of the utmost delicacy and difficulty, whatever skill I may possess. Whatever the result may be, and may God grant that I am mistaken in my forebodings, I shall at least have the internal satisfaction that I have written and spoken frankly and have sought to do the best in my power to avert disaster from my country. G.B. McClellan, Major General Commanding. Major General H.W. Halleck, commanding U.S. Army. Soon after sending this telegram, I received the following from General Halleck in reply to mine of 11 p.m. of the 3rd. My telegram to you of yesterday will satisfy you in regard to future operations. It was expected that you would have sent off your sick as directed without waiting to know what were or would be the intentions of the government respecting future movements. The President expects that the instructions which were sent you yesterday with his approval will be carried out with all possible dispatch and caution. The Quartermaster General is sending to Fort Monroe all the transportation he can collect. To which the following is my reply. Your telegram of yesterday received and is being carried out as promptly as possible. With the means of my command, no human power could have moved the sick in the time you say you expected them to be moved. My efforts for bringing about a change of policy were unsuccessful. On the 7th, I received the following telegram from General Halleck. You will immediately report the number of six sent off since you received my order, the number still to be shipped, and the amount of transportation at your disposal, that is, the number of persons that can be carried on all the vessels which, by my order, you were authorized to control. To which I made this reply. August 7th. In reply to your dispatch of 10 a.m. today, I report the number of six sent off since I received your order as follows. 3,740, including some that are embarked tonight and will leave tomorrow morning. The number still to be shipped is, as nearly as can be ascertained, 5,700. 
The embarkation of five batteries of artillery, with their horses, wagons, etc., required most of our available boats, except the ferry boats. All the transports that can send to this place have been ordered up. They will be here tomorrow evening. Colonel Ingalls reports to me that there are no transports now available for cavalry, and will not be for two or three days. As soon as they can be obtained, I shall send off the 1st New York Cavalry. After the transports with sick and wounded have returned, including some heavy draft steamers at Fort Monroe that cannot come to this point, we can transport 25,000 men at a time. We have some propellers here, but they are laden with commissary supplies and are not available. The transports now employed in transporting sick and wounded will carry 12,000 well-infantry soldiers. Those at Fort Monroe and of too heavy draft to come here will carry 8,000 or 10,000 infantry. Several of the largest steamers have been used for transporting prisoners of war and have only become available for the sick today. The report of my chief quartermaster upon the subject is as follows. Headquarters, Army of the Potomac, Office of Chief Quartermaster, Harrison's Landing, August 7, 1862. General, I have the honor to return the papers herewith which you sent me with the following remarks. We are embarking five batteries of artillery with their horses, baggage, etc., which requires the detailing of most of our available boats, except the ferry boats. The medical department has 10 or 12 of our largest transport vessels, which, if disposable, could carry 12,000 men. Besides, there are some heavy draft steamers at Fort Monroe that cannot come to this point, but which can carry 8,000 or 10,000 inventory. I have ordered all up here that can ascend to this depot. They will be here tomorrow evening. As it now is, after the details already made, we cannot transport from this place more than 5,000 infantry. There are no transports now available for cavalry. From and after tomorrow, if the vessels arrive, I could transport 10,000 infantry. In two or three days, a regiment of cavalry can be sent if required. If you wait and ship from Yorktown or Fort Monroe after the sick and wounded transports are at my disposal, we can transport 25,000 at a time. The number that can be transported is contingent on circumstances referred to. Most of the propellers here are laden with commissary or other supplies, and most of the tugs are necessary to tow off sailcraft, also laden with supplies. I am, very respectfully, your most obedient servant, Rufus Engels, Chief Quartermaster. General R.B. Marcy, Chief of Staff. On the 9th, I received this dispatch from General Halleck. I am of the opinion that the enemy is massing his forces in front of Generals Pope and Burnside, and that he expects to crush them and move forward to the Potomac. You must send reinforcements instantly to Aquia Creek. Considering the amount of transportation at your disposal, your delay is not satisfactory. You must move with all possible celerity. To which I sent the following reply. Telegram of yesterday received. The battery sent to Burnside took the last available transport yesterday morning. Enough have since arrived to ship one regiment of cavalry today. The sick are being embarked as rapidly as possible. There has been no unnecessary delay, as you assert, not in hours, but everything has been and is being pushed as rapidly as possible to carry out your orders. The following report, made on the same day by the officer then in charge of the transports, exposes the injustice of the remark in the dispatch of the General-in-Chief that, considering the amount of transportation at your disposal, your delay is not satisfactory. Assistant Quartermaster's Office, Army of the Potomac, Harrison's Landing, Virginia, August 10, 1862. Colonel Ingalls, being himself ill, has requested me to telegraph to you concerning the state and capacity of the transports now here. On the night of the 8th, I dispatched 11 steamers, 
principally small ones, and six schooners, with five batteries of heavy horse artillery, none of which have yet returned. Requisition is made this morning for transportation of 1,000 cavalry to Aquia Creek. All the schooners that had been chartered for carrying horses have been long since discharged or changed into freight vessels. A large proportion of the steamers now here are still loaded with stores, or are in the floating hospital service engaged in removing the sick. To transport the 1,000 cavalry today will take all the available steamers now here not engaged in the service of the harbor. These steamers could take a large number of infantry, but are not well adapted to the carrying of horses, and much space is thus lost. Several steamers are expected here today, and we are unloading schooners rapidly. Most of these are not chartered, but are being taken for the service required, at the same rates of pay as other chartered schooners. If you could cause a more speedy return of the steamer sent away from here, it would facilitate matters. C.G. Sawtell, Captain and Assistant Quartermaster, Commanding Depot. Our wharf facilities at Harrison's Landing were very limited, admitting but few vessels at one time. These were continually in use as long as there were disposable vessels, and the officers of the medical and quartermaster's departments, with all their available forces, were incessantly occupied day and night in embarking and sending off the sick men, troops, and materiel. Notwithstanding the repeated representations I made to the general-in-chief that such were the facts, on the 10th I received the following from General Halleck. The enemy is crossing the Rapidan in large force. They are fighting General Pope today. There must be no further delay in your movements. That which has already occurred was entirely unexpected and must be satisfactorily explained. Let not a moment's time be lost, and telegraph me daily what progress you have made in executing the order to transfer your troops. To which I sent this reply. Your dispatch of today is received. I assure you again that there has not been any unnecessary delay in carrying out your orders. You are probably laboring under some great mistake as to the amount of transportation available here. I have pushed matters to the utmost in getting off our sick and the troops you ordered to Burnside. Colonel Ingalls has more than once informed the Quartermaster General of the condition of our water transportation. From the fact that you directed me to keep the order secret, I took it for granted that you would take the steps necessary to provide the requisite transportation. A large number of transports for all arms of service and for wagons should at once be sent to Yorktown and Fort Monroe. I shall be ready to move the whole army by land the moment the sick are disposed of. You may be sure that not an hour's delay will occur that can be avoided. I fear you do not realize the difficulty of the operation proposed. The regiment of cavalry for Burnside has been in course of embarkation today and tonight. Ten steamers were required for the purpose. 1,258 sick loaded today and tonight. Our means exhausted, except one vessel returning to Fort Monroe in the morning, which will take some 500 cases of slight sickness. The present moment is probably not the proper one for me to refer to the unnecessarily harsh and unjust tone of your telegrams of late. It will, however, make no difference in my official action. On the 11th, this report was made. The embarkation of 850 cavalry and one brigade of infantry will be completed by 2 o'clock in the morning. 500 sick were embarked today, another vessel arrived tonight, and 600 more sick are now being embarked. I still have some 4,000 sick to dispose of. You have been grossly misled as to the amount of transportation at my disposal. 
vessels loaded to their utmost capacity with stores and others indispensable for service here have been reported to you as available for carrying sick and well. I am sending off all that can be unloaded at Fort Monroe to have them return here. I repeat that I have lost no time in carrying out your orders. On the 12th, I received the following from General Halleck. The Quartermaster General informs me that nearly every available steam vessel in the country is now under your control. It was supposed that 8,000 or 10,000 of your men could be transported daily. In addition to steamers, there was a large fleet of sailing vessels which could be used as transports. The bulk of your material on shore, it was thought, could be sent to Fort Monroe, covered by that part of the army which could not get water transportation. Such were the views of the government here. Perhaps we were misinformed as to the facts. If so, the delay could be explained. Nothing in my telegram was intentionally harsh or unjust, but the delay was so unexpected that an explanation was required. There has been and is the most urgent necessity for dispatch, and not a single moment must be lost in getting additional troops in front of Washington. I telegraphed the following reply at 11 p.m. Your dispatch of noon today received. It is positively the fact that no more men could have embarked hence than have gone, and that no unnecessary delay has occurred. I am sure that you have been misinformed as to the availability of vessels on hand. We cannot use heavily loaded supply vessels for troops or animals, and such constitute the mass of those here, which have been represented to you as capable of transporting this army. There shall be no unnecessary delay, but I cannot manufacture vessels. I state these difficulties from experience, and because it appears to me that we have been lately working at cross-purposes, because you have not been properly informed by those around you who ought to know the inherent difficulties of such an undertaking. It is not possible for anyone to place this army where you wish it, ready to move in less than a month. If Washington is in danger now, this army can scarcely arrive in time to save it. It is in much better position to do so from here than from Acquia. Our material can only be saved by using the whole army to cover it if we are pressed. If sensibly weakened by detachments, the result might be the loss of much material and many men. I will be at the telegraph office tomorrow morning. It will be seen by the concluding paragraph of the foregoing dispatch that in order to have a more direct, speedy, and full explanation of the condition of affairs in the Army than I could by sending a single dispatch by steamer to the nearest telegraph office at Jamestown Island, some 70 miles distant, and waiting 10 hours for a reply, I proposed to go in person to the office. This I did. On my arrival at Jamestown Island, there was an interruption in the electric current, which rendered it necessary for me to continue on to Fort Monroe and across the Chesapeake Bay to Cherrystone Inlet on the eastern shore, where I arrived late in the evening and immediately sent the two annex dispatches. 13th, 11.30 p.m. Please come to office. Wish to talk to you. What news from Pope? 14th, 12.30 a.m. Started to Jamestown Island to talk with you. Found cable broken and came here. Please read my long telegram of August 12th, 11 p.m. All quiet at camp. Enemy burned wharves at City Point yesterday. No rebel pickets within eight miles of Coggins Point yesterday. Richmond prisoners state that large force with guns left Richmond northward on Sunday. To which the following reply was received. 1.40 a.m. I have read your dispatch. There is no change of plans. 
you will send up your troops as rapidly as possible. There is no difficulty in landing them. According to your own accounts, there is now no difficulty in withdrawing your forces. Do so with all possible rapidity. H.W. Halleck, Major General. Before I had time to decipher and reply to this dispatch, the telegraph operator in Washington informed me that General Halleck had gone out of the office immediately after writing this dispatch without leaving any intimation of the fact for me or waiting for any further information as to the object of my journey across the bay. As there was no possibility of other communication with him at that time, I sent the following dispatch and returned to Harrison's Landing. 1.40 a.m. Your orders will be obeyed. I return at once. I had hoped to have had a longer and fuller conversation with you after traveling so far for the purpose. On the 14th and 15th, and before we had able to embark all our sick men, two Army Corps were put in motion towards Fort Monroe. This was reported in the Annex Dispatch. August 16th, 11 p.m. Movement has commenced by land and water. All sick will be away tomorrow night. Everything being done to carry out your orders. I don't like Jackson's movements. He will suddenly appear where least expected. We'll telegraph fully and understandingly in the morning. The phrase, movement has commenced, it need not be remarked, referred obviously to the movement of the main army after completing the necessary preliminary movements of the sick, etc. The perversion of the term to which the General-in-Chief saw fit to give currency in a letter to the Secretary of War should have been here rendered impossible by the dispatches which precede this of the 14th, which show that the movement really began immediately after the receipt of the order of August 4th. Footnote. In a letter to the Secretary of War, August 30th, 1862, General Halleck said, It will be seen from my telegraphic correspondence that General McClellan protested against the movement and that it was not actually commenced until the 14th instant. End footnote. After the commencement of the movement, it was continued with the utmost rapidity until all the troops and materiel were en route, both by land and water, on the morning of the 16th. Late in the afternoon of that day, when the last man had disappeared from the deserted camps, I followed with my personal staff in the track of the Grand Army of the Potomac bidding farewell to the scene still covered with the marks of its presence, and to be forever memorable in history as the vicinity of its most brilliant exploits. Previous to the departure of the troops, I had directed Captain Duane of the Engineer Corps to proceed to Barrett's Ferry, near the mouth of the Chickahominy, and throw across the river at that point a pontoon bridge. This was executed promptly and satisfactorily, under the cover of gunboats, and an excellent bridge of about 2,000 feet in length was ready for the first arrival of troops. The greater part of the army, with its artillery, wagon trains, etc., crossed it rapidly, and in perfect order and safety, so that on the night of the 17th everything was across the Chickahominy, except the rear guard, which crossed early in the morning of the 18th, when the pontoon bridge was immediately removed. General Porter's Corps, which was the first to march from Harrison's Landing, had been pushed forward rapidly, and on the 16th reached Williamsburg, where I had directed him to halt until the entire army was across the Chickahominy. On his arrival at Williamsburg, however, he received an intercepted letter which led to the belief that General Pope would have to contend against a very heavy force then in his front. General Porter, therefore, very properly took the responsibility of continuing his march directly on to Newport News, which place he reached on the morning of the 18th of August. Having marched his corps 60 miles in the short period of three days and one night, 
halting one day at the crossing of the Chickahominy. The embarkation of this corps commenced as soon as transports were ready, and on the 20th it had all sailed for Aquia Creek from Barrett's Ferry. On the 18th and 19th, our march was continued to Williamsburg and Yorktown, and on the 20th the remainder of the army was ready to embark at Yorktown, Fortress Monroe, and Newport News. From the commencement to the termination of this most arduous campaign, the Army of the Potomac always evinced the most perfect subordination, zeal, and alacrity in the performance of all the duties required of it. The amount of severe labor accomplished by this army in the construction of entrenchments, roads, bridges, etc. was enormous. Yet all the work was performed with the most gratifying cheerfulness and devotion to the interests of the service. During the campaign, ten severely contested and sanguinary battles had been fought, besides numerous smaller engagements, in which the troops exhibited the most determined enthusiasm and bravery. They submitted to exposure, sickness, and even death without a murmur. Indeed, they had become veterans in their country's cause and richly deserved the warm commendation of the government. It was in view of these facts that this seemed to meet an appropriate occasion for the General-in-Chief to give, in general orders, some appreciative expression of the services of the Army while upon the peninsula. Accordingly, on the 18th, I sent him the following dispatch. Headquarters, Army of the Potomac, August 18th, 1862, 11 p.m. Please say a kind word to my army that I can repeat to them in general orders in regard to their conduct at Yorktown, Williamsburg, West Point, Hanover Courthouse, and on the Chickahominy, as well as in regard to the seven days and the recent retreat. No one has ever said anything to cheer them but myself. Say nothing about me. Merely give my men and officers credit for what they have done. It will do you much good and will strengthen you much with them, if you issue a handsome order to them in regard to what they have accomplished. They deserve it. G. B. McClellan, Major General, Major General Halleck, Washington, D.C. As no reply was received to this communication, and no order was issued by the General-in-Chief, I conclude that the suggestion did not meet with his approbation. All the personnel and materiel of the Army had been transferred from Harrison's Landing to the different points of embarkation in the very brief period of five days without the slightest loss or damage. Porter's troops sailed from Newport News on the 19th and 20th. Heinzelman's Corps sailed from Yorktown on the 21st. On that day, I received the following telegram from the General-in-Chief. Leave such garrisons in Fortress Monroe, Yorktown, etc. as you may deem proper. They will be replaced by new troops as rapidly as possible. The forces of Burnside and Pope are hard-pushed and require aid as rapidly as you can send it. Come yourself as soon as you can. End of chapter 29